Searchlight Rainbow Conversations with Tony and Jasper on Bay FM 100.3. Welcome to another episode of Searchlight Rainbow Conversations here on Bay FM 100.3. And I am joined by my wonderful co-host Jasper and my name is Tony. Thanks Tony. It's great to be back and tackling another really important topic that needs so much more knowledge out there from everybody. And that topic is intersex awareness. Intersex is the I in the LGBTIQAP+, or as we say here at Rainbow Conversations, the Rainbow Alphabet. Rolls off the tongue a bit better, definitely. Yes, it does. Now, if you haven't heard the term intersex before, you're not alone. In fact, most of the people that we have spoken to in the preparation for this program haven't heard this term. But you might know the outdated term the one that I was taught in primary school sex education class, which was hermaphrodite. And later in the program, we're going to discuss why that label is incorrect and actually now a slur. And you might think if intersex is so unknown, then it must be a very small amount of people under the I in the rainbow alphabet. But it's actually around 1.7% of the Earth's population that come under the intersex umbrella. And to put that into perspective, it's around 1.2% of humanity that are natural redheads. So there are more people that are intersex than redheads on the planet. We're talking about 130 million people worldwide. If you think you don't know an intersex person, chances are you actually do. But they haven't told you their intersex status. There is widespread misinformation on this topic and an ingrained stigma. Parents making decisions about purely cosmetic surgeries on newborn babies, with doctors giving often outdated information, and a lack of knowing where to go to get proper resources on this topic. Many intersex children are told to keep it a secret, and this leads to a deep shame. Like all humans on the planet, intersex people deserve to be seen, understood, and respected. So please stay tuned to tonight's conversation because intersex people are our neighbours, our co-workers and our friends. And they can be faced with some incredible hurdles from birth, but not all. Some find out during puberty and some much later in life. Intersex is not a one-size-fits-all. In fact, there are over 40 classifications of intersex variations. Tonight, we're going to look at what it means to be intersex, as well as what intersex is not. We're going to talk to Bonnie Hart from an intersex peer support organisation and Morgan Carpenter, founder of the Intersex Awareness Day and creator of the intersex flag. But next, we are going to look at the history of intersex people that dates back to, well, let's be honest, as far as humans have been keeping records. Now, if you'd like to get involved in tonight's program, you can send us a text message to the dedicated SMS line 0468 861 with questions for us or questions for our guests. Uh, you can tell us your stories and experiences and you can remain anonymous if you like. Otherwise, let us know your name and where you're listening from. That number again is 0468 861 
So we're going to play a couple of little spawns and a great song about self-empowerment. And we'll be right back on Searchlight, Rainbow Conversations on Bay FM 100.3. Searchlight on Bay FM 100.3. Connect with us by SMS on 0468 86 1003. You're on Bay FM 100.3 with Searchlight Rainbow Conversations and tonight we are talking about intersex awareness. Thank you so much for joining us for this very important look at a misunderstood part of the human race. Yes, often we discuss topics focused on the rainbow community, but we have always been trying to create an absolutely inclusive space for anyone who wants to understand these topics more deeply. Tonight, this is a very human topic, and we'll find out later exactly how that plays out. And before we get into the discussion about intersex awareness, we would just like to say that we are not experts in this field. We are not intersex people. We have no medical background. And in fact, we've been on a journey of discovery more in-depth than any other topic that we have covered here on Rainbow Conversations before. And we would invite you to come along for a journey of discovery as well. Yes, there's definitely a lot to get your head around. And this conversation has many medical aspects that you can get further information from some very informed sources that we will give you later in the program. And we'll put those links up in the podcast description if you're listening later on or if you want to hear it again. What we're talking about is people's bodies this evening and the differences in them. And not all bodies are the same. In fact, every single person is different, even identical monozygotic twins starting with the exact same genetic makeup, are not exactly the same. Gender is a social construct, and bodies are the physical form we have. There is a difference. And when talking about a person's intersex status, we are also getting extremely personal about their body, and it is so easy to cross that line. So if you find yourself in a conversation about intersex, just a reminder, please be respectful. Now, the existence of intersex people was known to many ancient cultures, pre-modern cultures, documented in their legal systems, and in numerous historical accounts exist. One of the earliest accounts is a Sumerian creation myth from around 4,000 years ago that depicts people being created with sex and genitalia in many different variations. In ancient Jewish culture, intersex individuals were either classified as androgynous, a term that we will explain more very shortly, or they were known as tum-tum, coming from the Hebrew word for covered or hidden. In ancient India, there was a third gender called the Hajra, and they're mentioned in some variations of the Ramayana, a Hindu epic poem around about 300 BC. And in tantric, in the tantric sect of Hinduism, there is a belief that all individuals possess both male and female components. This belief can be seen explicitly in the tantric concept of a supreme being with both male and female sex organs, which constitutes one complete sex and the ideal physical form. In ancient Greece, they used the term androgyny, 
which you might be very aware of used these days, but it was used to describe intersex people back then. And it came from the Greek word for man, which is anran, adran, sorry, and jin for woman. So male and female, all in one. The Greek physician Galen viewed sex as a spectrum that encompassed masculine men, feminine women, and many shades in between, including what they termed hermaphrodites, the perfect balance of a male and female. Galen's views dominated and influenced Western medical science for more than 1,300 years. In Islamic law, inheritance was determined based on sex, so it was sometimes necessary to attempt to determine the biological sex of sexually ambiguous heirs. The first recorded case of this has been attributed to the 7th century. Historical accounts right here in Australia from the earliest 20th century include Florrie Cox, whose marriage was annulled due to her intersex status, being a serious shame to her family as well. The term intersexuality was coined by Richard Goldschmidt in the 1917 paper Intersexuality and the Endocrine Aspects of Sex. Uh, The first suggestion to replace the term hermaphrodite with intersex came from British specialist Cadwallis in the 1940s. The suggestion was taken on by specialists in the UK during the 60s, and now the term hermaphrodite has been taken all away from the use for intersex people, and it belongs where it should in the animal kingdom, referring to animals with complete male and female sex organs. Think snails. Well, that's an extremely brief history of intersex through human history. So now, let's talk about what is intersex and who are intersex people? How many people are intersex? I bet more than you might think. Around two in every hundred people. And to put that into perspective, that's about 3,000 people in Redland City and 45,000 people in Brisbane City. So, still think you don't know any intersex people? So, what exactly is intersex? The term intersex is best described as an umbrella term, encompassing many other medical conditions. A simple working definition on intersex from the Intersex Human Rights Australia uses the following statement. Intersex people have innate sexual characteristics that don't fit medical and social norms for female or male bodies. And this creates risks of or experiences of stigma, discrimination and harm. So that's a working title. It's always it's always going to be updated at the moment. It's still a, a work in progress. We will actually be speaking to a representative of the Intersex Human Rights Australia later in the program. And that definition that you just mentioned is based on definitions shared by the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. The statement relies on a definition of sex characteristics such as physical features relating to sex, including chromosomes, genitals, gonads, hormones and other reproductive anatomy and secondary features that may emerge from puberty. It is worth taking the time to recognise that this definition does not specifically, is not specify particular biological characteristics, birth assignment, legal status, gender, gender identity, 
or sexual orientation. Intersex people do not share a single identity. They are a very broad community, very diverse population. Intersex people old enough to freely express an identity can be heterosexual or not. They can be cisgendered, meaning identifying the sexual the sex assigned at birth or not. In fact, in a study from the Intersex Human Rights Australia of a lot of different intersex people found that 48% of them identified as heterosexual. So there are heterosexual people in the LGBTQI plus rainbow umbrella. And intersex traits include a wide range of different underlying variations. These can be determined parentally, at birth, during puberty, and at other times, such as when trying to conceive a child. Each trait has its own characteristics and differing degrees of expression. Now, not all intersex people fall under the non-male, non-female category of other, which, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, in that same uh, paper I mentioned earlier from the inter Intersex Human Rights Australia, 52% of the people answering the questions identified as female. 23% identified as male. So only one quarter, 25%, identify as being an other gender. Now, if you're looking for a term to describe non-intersex people, that word... That's such, that, such as you and I. Uh, well, that's how yep. I would... Uh, yep. Is endosex, or from within the sex characteristic norms. So what we're talking about is social constructs of what is deemed normal and what is not. And when you look at that many people being intersex, it is actually a normal part of the human experience. And remember, if someone does tell you that they are intersex, please do not expect them to be an ambassador for all intersex people or an expert on all types of intersex variations. Be respectful and then... Use the internet for further questioning. And we will have a lot of resources later on. And look, this is why tonight's program talking about awareness for intersex is so important. Because intersex people's healthcare, social and human rights issues are often overlooked. They continue to face exposure on multiple forms of human rights violations and discrimination. And now... We wanted to, it, it, during the research, we found a lot of amazing videos and there was one that really stood out for us and it was a TED Talk by the incredible Susanna Temko. And we could, we could use her words and tell you the same story, but it wouldn't give you the same impact. So this is a shortened clip of Susanna Temko's amazing TED Talk and then coming up next, we've got an incredible guest who created the intersex flag. Correct. Yeah, Morgan Carpenter will be joining us live in a moment. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us or ask Morgan, the text line is open. Shoot us through a message to 0468 86 and we'll get your question answered on air. Wonderful. And now that clip from Susanna Temko. When I was 16 years old, I was taken into a doctor's office and told that I am, in fact, 
part of a group of people who are still largely invisible and misunderstood. I am intersex. For many of you in this room, it'll be the first time you've even heard the word intersex. Intersex is anatomy. It refers to people who are born with one or more of a variation of sex characteristics. That's your genitals, your hormones, your chromosomes that fall outside of the traditional conceptions of male and female bodies. In other words, the most basic assumption we've made about our species, what we're taught in schools, that sex is binary, just male and female, is not correct. Like most things in this world, it is much more complicated than that. Intersex people who fall outside of this false sex binary have always existed throughout human history. We are pretty much invisible. Some of us don't even know that we are intersex. Some of our traits are obvious at birth, and others turn up around the time when puberty is supposed to kick in. When we find out we are intersex, some of us believe we are the only ones in the world. Me, specifically, I have XY chromosomes, which you may have understood to be typically male. I was also born with gonads instead of ovaries. Standing here on this stage would have been my worst nightmare only five years ago. Intersex people are thought to make up to 1.7% of the population. That's the same number of people born with naturally red hair. We are in front of you getting coffee. We are sat next to you on the train. We are swiping you left and right on dating apps. <laughs> so why haven't you heard of us? If we are so common, why don't you see us? We often think of disciplines like medicine and the law as supposedly neutral immune to bias. The law is reason-free from passion. The doctor's Hippocratic oath states that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife. In truth, these disciplines that touch our lives are impressive, but they are filled with our prejudices. They are not immune, just as we are not immune to the effects of that prejudice which can be devastating. In medicine, intersex babies who are born with ambiguous genitalia are routinely operated on without consent, without medical need, irreversibly, in order to make their healthy anatomy appear more normal. This is before they've even said their first words indicated a sexuality or a gender identity. Many people are never told the truth about their intersex traits. And those who are, are instructed often not to tell anyone. Secrecy is enforced and shame is a close shadow. And intersex people cannot correct the sex classification they've been given at birth unless they declare they are transgender. After decades 
of activism, these life-altering problems are starting to be addressed. So why does this matter to those of you who aren't intersex, who don't have variations of sex characteristics? I imagine many people in this audience have, in the privacy of their own bathrooms, wondered, are my testicles uneven? Is my penis too small? Is my vagina too wide or too shallow? Nothing that hurts or gets in the way, just aesthetically. Are mine normal? I imagine that many people in, these, in this audience have those small concerns, but generally go about their lives not thinking about it. To put it another way, to give you an idea of the intersex experience, what if when you were an infant, your parents or your doctors looked at your labia, your penis, your testicles, and thought they're healthy, feeling, but they're not normal, even before you knew what you wanted to do with them, where you know, want to put them? What if they went so far as to assign you a different sex based off these measurements, and then they lied to you about what they'd done? What if these surgeries sterilized you? What if they resulted in immense pain and scarring? What if you had to take medicine for the rest of your life to replace the healthy organs they took away? And you had to pay for that medicine yourself. And then every time you went to a doctor's office for a cold, you were questioned about your gender identity, what your private parts looked like, ask you to drop your trousers or submit to an unnecessary medical exam. This is a picture of what is happening to the intersex community. People like me, every day around the world. Our community is not anti-medicine or anti-surgery. We are for the right to make decisions about our bodies and our lives. The current approach to intersex people stems from a now debunked academic study it also stems from referring to healthy intersex variations as abnormal or disordered. It also stems the fear and stigma of being intersex from homophobia, transphobia, sexism, and ultimately, our colonial past. I am not here to say that the categories of men and women don't exist. I'm saying like most things in this world, it is more complicated than that. The world is complex, and we can choose to see that as beautiful, or we can choose to continue to deny the existence of that complexity, push people into artificial binary boxes, fix what isn't broken. For parents of intersex children listening and watching, for those in the audience who may become the guardians of intersex people, I want you to know I love my life, but it has not been free of issue, especially in relation to being intersex. All coins have two sides. On the one side, I have been humiliated in doctor's offices. I have stood in front of prospective partners and felt afraid and so not good enough. I have questioned whether I have a place in this world. 
On the other, I have been deeply loved for everything that I am. I have learnt compassion and empathy for a wider range of society. I have taken the time to love my body and not judge the bodies of others. I have developed a strength and a hope that would have been impossible without this particular life. The instinct to protect children is instinctive, and it's admirable. But the truth is that love, acceptance, and refusing to bathe that child in shame will protect them more than trying to fix something that isn't broken. This is why it is in our interest to protect intersex people and make them visible. For as long as societies reinforce one form of acceptable, of normal, everyone will face insecurity for being different in any way. Simply trying to erase variation, difference, build shame. It is my belief that if intersex people can gain equality, can be seen, can be accepted, and can be loved, then we all will. Thank you. Searchlight Rainbow Conversations with Tony and Jasper on Bay FM 100.3. And we're back on Rainbow Conversations on our topic of intersex awareness. Now, we're joined by our next guest, our first guest for this evening, rather, Morgan Carpenter. So thanks for joining us, Morgan. And I'll give you a brief intro so people know the caliber of person you are. So Morgan is a bioethicist and advocate for all things intersex. Morgan is the executive director of the Intersex Human Rights Australia. That's where we were pulling all those figures from earlier in the program. Morgan is the creator of the Intersex Flag and the founder of the Intersex Day Project, which has the Intersex Day of Awareness. So welcome to the program, Morgan. Um, hey, thank you for having me on the program. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. Now... As we start with all of our guests on Searchlight Rainbow Conversations, we ask, how do you identify? Oh, well, I guess, you know, I'm a cisgender queer man, really. Those are the kind of words I would use. I, I have an intersex variation as well, but, but calling that an identity kind of makes some assumptions about what we mean by identity that are really quite complex. Um, but I, you know, I'm, so I'm a queer, um, cisgender man, you know, okay. and I have an intersex variation. It's, it's a very open-ended question and we really let people go wherever they want to with that. And, um, you know, some people just say they're, <laughs> they're a weird human and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's all, uh, it's all part of the course with this. Well, yeah, I think we're all a bit different as well. Um. Yeah, I, I think um, the way I've answered the question, you know, how, asking how do you identify, people don't ask that very much, do they? So it, it, it can actually feel a little bit confronting 
being asked to on the radio straight up first thing. Yes. And, and then there's a the question like, how am I going to answer it? What, what do I disclose? What do I not disclose? How do I do that? Um, and as somebody with, you know, the lived experience of an intersex person, um, trying to answer that question on a program where we're going to talk about intersex also feels kind of kind of awkward a little bit. But And that's because being intersex is really about the body and how people with particular kinds of bodies are treated. Um, and, you know, there, there are some people that do conceive of, of, the, of that as an identity, so people can talk mm -hmm. about being disabled or being black or, or having other characteristics that are kind of are inherent um, that are about our bodies and the way we're treated in our bodies. But I think a complication when it comes to talking about intersex within that kind of idea about what it means to have an identity is that when, if you do say that you identify as intersex, that usually means that people are going to assume that you're non-binary. And that's only true of a minority of people with intersex variations who are old enough to have agency to express an identity. Yeah, look, I think we mentioned it earlier, it was about 25% was the, the figures I got from uh, the website. Yeah, that, that comes from a study in 2015 by a, by a researcher at the University of New England in New South Wales. Um, and, you know, that is quite an important study because the study was independent. It was done by somebody who's not intersex, and it was the first time that she'd really done that kind of work. Um, it was a study that used neutral language. It was a study of people born with atypical sex characteristics. Um, and that language meant that the survey questions could ask what language people prefer to use and where they use the language that they want. And um, it also got a very high response rate of 272 people, which might sound low for an LGBT study, but for an intersex study, that's really very big. Globally, that's quite big. And it does seem small given, you know, we're talking about 1.7% of the population is the, the figure that seems to be sort of agreed on. So that that does seem like a very small pool of people to be to be talking to when, when there really are so many people out there who, who have an intersex variation. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that 1.7% is, a, is a, probably an upper, upper bound figure. Okay. Um, there, there are several complications with, with trying to count intersex people to make it quite difficult. So, it, I mean, there's been a long history of uh, non-disclosure to people who have intersex variations that they have intersex variations. So I think partly that's a product of misconceptions, including the idea that um, if you tell them they're going to, go, going to grow up and be abnormal, or they won't grow up and, and be, you know, ordinarily, typically female or male, if they know. Um, and there was also a kind of a, a feeling that if you um, if you tell people 
they are going to, well, sorry, we're actually losing track. I, I, um, sorry about this, we're live as well. Um, yeah, the, 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 the non-disclosure is a huge problem. Uh, so not telling people because of this fear that they're going to grow up and be different or be abnormal is actually a huge problem. And it means that many people don't know the full story about their own bodies. And if you don't know the full story about your own body, then you can't connect to community. And without connecting to community, you're often missing an opportunity to meet other people with the same kinds of lived experience, to learn from each other and um, to find and construct more affirmative ways of understanding ourselves. Yeah, right. It's um, it's quite a complex situation, isn't it? You you have to let people have autonomy over their own bodies. Now, when did you well, personally yeah. find out that you, you had? <laughs> well, a... I mean, I, I didn't find out until I was an adult. So, oh. uh, I didn't find out until I was an adult. I didn't find out until after I'd had, oh, I think at least four surgeries. So, um. So I was diagnosed with, with, you know, what is understandable as an interflex variation. Um, and the first thing that happened was I went on to testosterone because I was already an adult. Um, and then a year later, I had the first surgery to make my body more typically male. And I had uh, three surgeries. And it was only after that um, that I really uh, found I needed to have some kind of support from my psychologist because I was going through a really difficult time trying to understand why I'd been treated the way I was and why my body was different. And um, I, I, some of the effects of the surgical interventions were really quite difficult to deal with. Uh, and that, I ended up having depression, um, and um, I, I had to go and get support. And, you know, I, I, I got in contact with a clinical psychologist near to where I lived at that time. Um, and, and over the course of a few sessions, and to be honest, I saw him for like, I think, almost a year. But, but um, he gave me the word um, and said, you know, this is this is the word and this is where you can find your community and I did um, and you know I found not long after after that a place called Bodies Like Ours which was one of the first online forums for people with intersex variations and really it, um, it was almost life-saving uh, it, 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 it meant that I could connect to other people who'd had similar experiences um, and really gave me a lot more understanding about why I'd been treated the way I had been and uh, kind of really convinced me that, that, that um, some of the biggest problems that we face as people is, is just the lack of re respect for the true diversity of bodies. Um, and 
if I'd known the word before I'd been diagnosed or before I had surgery, then my life could have been really different because I could have found that community earlier. And that could have given me the strength to to take a much more affirmative approach and, and, and make my own decisions really on a truly informed basis. Um, so, so really, that, that, that experience, that really drives why I do advocacy today. Uh, and a lot of the work I do is trying to create ways in which people can connect with each other um, and trying to promote access to better information that can help people to make their own decisions about their own bodies. When we uh, had our episode on Pride and what Pride Month is all about, so many people we interviewed, it came down to when they went to their first Pride event, they found a sense of community and belonging and some of them found a sense of understanding through that. So, I mean, it's a different situation with yours, but the sense of community and the importance of that, I will definitely uh, be putting the Bodies Like Ours link up on the podcast when it goes up uh, on bayfm.org.au. Well, yeah. if, if it's still yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, oh. But, but uh, I, I, I think... Um, social media like Facebook, I think, really kind of killed a lot of online forums. Um, so it's very much of its time. I, I think back in the day, it was really significant. But um, people have moved on quite a bit. But, you know, thank you for offering to do that. I think, and I, and I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the connection to community is, is one of the most powerful experiences we can have as individuals. I think any marginalized or stigmatized population having contact with other people who have been stigmatized because our bodies are different um is it, it, the best way of trying to, to to deal with that and to navigate those differences learning from others and, and creating spaces together where we can just be ourselves and we can talk about those experiences and and I think also it's really true to say that it's not just about talking about those experiences. You know, I think when so many people have experienced medical interventions without personal consent or without a personal informed consent, which is actually true in my case, even though I was an adult, as well as so many people who were children when they had surgery, um, you know, it, it does mean that you want to try and change things for other people so that other people don't go through those experiences in the way that you did. Um, and, you know, going through those experiences alone or not being able to talk to anybody uh, and even feeling that your body is so stigmatized and you've been told not to talk about it and you can't explain why you're in hospital. Um, all of those things are really quite harmful for people. So, yeah, it's, it's the, the shame and the secrecy and the kind of the silence that you're faced with if you can't talk about something that are some of the most damaging experiences that we can have. <coughs> are you amazed that, because there's a sense of disbelief uh, that hmm. a grown adult can go through all these 
tests and end up in surgery and not one doctor mentioned the word intersex to you. Like, and it was only in therapy later on that's, that, that, you're, that the therapist actually told you about the intersex or the intersex variations. Is the medical community that behind the eight ball with this one? Uh, yeah, look, this, this was a long time ago. There was, it was 20 years ago. Um, there was no community. There, was, there wasn't a community in the same way that there is now. We've created community in the years and decades since then. Um, you know, and I don't know how old you two are, um, you know, Jasper, Tony, um, and what your experience is maybe when you first found out or realized that you were gay or same-sex attracted. But, but you know, if it was decades ago, I think things were quite different, even for gay men. Um, and I think things still are quite difficult for many minorities to disclose. You know, that there's people not only with intersex variations, but people with... Um, hidden disabilities, and, and I think looking at workplaces, I understand that, that lesbian women are still, um, you know, le much less frequently disclosed that they are lesbians in workplace, um, and not that trans people find it difficult to disclose. So I think there's the, the, it, it, the kind of experiences I'm talking about in some ways are, are not uncommon. There's definitely some correlations, yeah. Uh, but in each case, I think finding a community is really vital to help make a difference in, in your life and make you feel comfortable and make you feel like there's somewhere that you fit in. So, you know, so if you do have insect variation, if you have what doctors would call a disorder of sex development or a difference of sex development, then there is a community here in Australia that's here for you now. Uh, and there are organisations like Intersex Peer Support Australia Intersex Human Rights Australia, where you can connect with other people. And I guess one of the um, most important things about connecting is actually having a symbol. We, you know, there's the the pride flag and there's a trans flag, and then now there's a intersex flag. And um, I'm led on good authority that you are the creator of that flag. <laughs> yeah, you've done a bit of research, eh? Well, it says so on your website. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I'm quite proud of that, to be honest. I, it, I, I did that in 2013, so it's like it's eight years ago, uh, and um, it's gone around the world since then. And I think that speaks to a need for symbols that make sense to people. Um, at the time, and I think still you sometimes see this now, if people talk about intersex issues, they'll often use, um, symbols that to me don't make any sense. They might use a symbol from a toilet door or they might use, I don't know, something with pink and blue, um, like, um, yeah, like, 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 again, like, like, like the kind of things that you put kids in when they're very young. So yeah. You know you've got a, a, a baby boy or a baby girl. Um, so that, that, those symbols, I think, tend to not speak to the kinds of issues 
that I understand about my experience with my body. And I think that the take-up of, of the flag shows that the things that I feel are important about what an intersex symbol should do have mattered to other people as well. So, so the intersex flag is, has nothing pink or blue on it because I, I, I tire of the gender stereotypes that I think lie behind those ideas of, of what pink or blue is supposed to do. Um, instead, I use um, a yellow background and, and, a, and a purple circle, and the circle symbolizes um, bodily integrity or, or wholeness or completeness. Uh, so it's an unbroken circle to say that, you know, even though we might have intersex variations, we're unbroken. We're not broken as people. We're whole, and we should be able to make our own decisions about our bodies. That's... So the symbolism is, is, is not about gender. It's not about toilets. It's about people having the right to have our own say about our own bodies. And that's so powerful. And it really is all over the place. Like Most of the intersex websites I've been researching the last couple of weeks have yellow and purple as their theme colours. It's just so ingrained. And you've, you've got to be proud, I'm guessing, that the the newest version of the Pride progressive flag even has the intersex symbol incorporated into it as well. Yeah, look, um, I, you know, there's, there's somebody in, in uh, London who created that. And there's also somebody in Aotearoa, New Zealand, who's also created a version of the uh, progress flag. Personally, I, I probably wouldn't have done that myself, um, but I respect what other people do, and I respect the meaning that it has to them. Um, and, you know, I, I think for me also, I mean, inclusiveness is not about uh, putting a flag up. Inclusiveness to me means talking about the issues that is important to the community um, and you know, acting in solidarity with those issues uh, rather than putting up a flag. But, so, but you know, putting up a flag is, is a great beginning and there is a need for symbols that make sense and, uh, and the intersex flag is one attempt to create a symbol that makes sense. Now, there's so many issues faced in the intersex community or I guess communities are a hard word to use because it's not a, not a tight-knit bunch of people but people with intersex variations have a lot of um, hurdles and you seem to be really going at them head first um, the UN at the Australian government in Canberra um, what are we what are we looking at right now what are, what are we trying to what are we trying to fight yeah um, look, look, I think it's worth saying that, that, that there is a community these days. Um, uh, that, that there are historic problems and, and ongoing problems where people are not given good information to know about the community or to know that it's relevant to them in their circumstances. But there is now a community, uh, and it's a really wonderful space, I think, for, for, for people to to meet others and to talk about shared issues and um, and to have a laugh as well. Um, 
but yeah, but we do come together to to address some really quite fundamental human rights issues, um, including primarily, I think, the most long-standing issue is, is the forced and coercive medical interventions that, that so many of us have experienced. Uh, medical interventions without personal consent or informed consent that have changed our bodies to fit, you know, stereotypical ideas about how boys or girls, men or women should look. So there's a lot of work that we've been doing on that issue um, since Indifex Human Rights Australia was established in 2010. Um, and there have been some really good uh, achievements along the way. So in 2013, we had the first ever parliamentary inquiry into the involuntary or coerced sterilization of intersex people anywhere on the planet. Um, and, and that reported uh, just before uh, the uh, Tony Abbott Parliament uh, sat in Parliament House. So we've had very little progress federally since 2013 with the change in government. But we have had quite a few things happen outside government. So now the ACT Assembly, or the ACT government really, and the Victorian government, have both made commitments to prohibit uh, forced and coercive medical interventions on intersex people. And that's really fantastic news. Uh, and over the last few months, we've been working really hard to uh, engage with community and to construct submissions on how those reforms should, should happen, what should happen next, how, what, what kind of regulation we need to protect people's right to bodily integrity. Um, so we're still kind of in the middle of that process. Um, we're now waiting for both of those governments to come back and say this is how things should look. Uh, but it's always very much kind of watch this space situation that we're in. Um, as well as those governments, the Human Rights Commission is also going to publish a report on protecting the human rights of people with innate variations in sex characteristics, hopefully this month, or, or if not, in the very near future. So there's a lot of work that's happening, um, and I'm really quite excited about what might be happening next. It, it sounds like there's a, a lot that needs to be done, but it's really good that there is, is progress being made in that in that front now yeah, this... it's a long time to get here and you know you, you, your audience can really help by by um you know writing to your mps or, or or talking with people in government whether it's in queensland or new south wales or act or victoria or elsewhere uh, and asking people to to really step up and, and, and join in this change and I guess that's a global issue that needs to be addressed, isn't it? It's not just here in Australia, it's uh, all around the world. Because I see there's intersex groups in Russia and Peru and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, human, a human issue. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know if we'd acted on the science report in 2013, Australia would have been one of the first countries to move. But, but now we'd be joining Malta and Germany and Portugal and Iceland uh, and even Tamil Nadu and in India. Uh, there are many places where, where action is taking place. It's, it really is a global movement. Um, 
Yeah. So wherever you are in the world, take a look at what's happening in your country, in your region, and there will usually be people working. It's really amazing. It, it still baffles me how little conversation there is and how few people know. And I'm talking about, you know, quite well-educated people who we've been speaking to, people from inside the rainbow community or really strong allies who still didn't know the term intersex and so it, it just we've been going around and talking to everyone we can about this just getting engaging reactions <laughs> and, and just getting an understanding of where people fall in there and it's it's great to be able to go right okay here's here's something we all need to know about pay, you know stand up pay attention spread the word yeah and it's really important. And one of the, the big issues that has been uh, looked at at the moment is the fact that we need to know how many people are out there. And that's when the the census um, happening tomorrow <laughs> seems to have left yeah. out any questions about this. Yeah, you, yeah. There's a, there's a story here, I guess, isn't there? I mean... The, the last census was a real mess. I think there was a, some kind of third category on the sex question in the last census. And ever since then, we've been working with the ABS to say, you know, you can't ask if somebody has an intersex variation in a question on sex or a question on gender. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we've been working with them to try and make sure that they don't cause harm but by trying to count intersex people by asking if people are male, female, or intersex. Because, you know, intersex people are often, typically, female or male, yes. as well as having intersex variation. Um, so, um, yeah, so we're trying to make sure that, that the way that questions are asked is not harmful. And then we've, trying to, we've been trying to work out um, with the ABS how they can ask questions that can be helpful and meaningful. Um, and in January this year, they published a new standard uh, on sex, gender, variations of sex characteristics and sexual orientation. And um, that standard offers a pragmatic and respectful way of counting all LGBT and intersex populations, but it hasn't been implemented in the, in the census. And that is really disappointing. Um, and I think it speaks to, uh, you know, I, I hear a desire to, 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 by, by the government to limit the number of questions but I think also it's the political decision that's been taken not to count the populations. Um, and that's really disappointing um, and really regretful. Um, there is a, a question on sex in the census, and it asks if people are male, female, or non-binary. Um, and the meaning of that term non-binary is really vague and unclear um, and it's just not reasonable to suggest that, that a man or a woman with intersex variation should take that option because it's not who they are um, it's not how they understand themselves and it's not you know it's not um, going back to the discussion at the beginning of, of, of the interview it's not how they identify so 
So um, it's really unclear what's going to come out of the census question on sex. And I really worry about it being used in ways that, that, that are assumed to talk about intersex people when that's really unhelpful. And all the information gathered from the census is where a lot of the funding numbers come from. And when you talk about the Human Rights Commission for Intersex People and the Peer Support Network, these are all non-funded organisations as far as I'm... If I, I hope I'm correct on saying that. If the information isn't there and the questions aren't there, how are we going to get more support and more funding for these really important organisations? And it's unfortunate that it seems like the, the questions are so important to put into the census, but because it isn't an identity, it isn't a sexual orientation, do you think possibly the politicians have just went, oh, this is too hard, and just skipped it? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's maybe an argument, but I mean, the, the, the counter-argument to that is, well, in 2013, um, the Sex Discrimination Act was updated to add sexual orientation and gender identity and intersex status. So if it was possible back in 2013 to acknowledge the community um, and, and to provide some level of protection against discrimination... And if in the same period we were able to have a Senate inquiry into involuntary or co-esterilisation, then, you know, we're capable today of counting people properly. And so you actually have a role as an advisory to a reference group for the Bureau of Statistics, am I? Yeah, but that was in relation to the new standard, which is okay. the standard on, on sex, gender, variations of sex characteristics and, and sexual orientation. Sadly, there is quite a different process for the census. And, I mean, you know, I, I can't completely explain why the census has not incorporated that standard. I, I can't explain it. I, I've, I've got no way of saying why that's the case. Um but I think it's really re regrettable that one part of the ABS can come up with a really useful uh, standard that can actually count us all properly and, and, and respectfully, um, and another part of the ABS can't do that. Um, it's very disappointing. It is, but luckily we've got Courtney Act uh, on, on the case, so you know it, things might hopefully yeah. be better in five years' time. Now, we've... Got to wrap it up shortly, but I've got one really important question left. For anyone who's a parent who's listening, without children yet or an expecting parent, young people who, who want to go and have kids, what do you want to tell them about intersex, potentially having an intersex child? What message do you want to sort of hone in on for people having children or with children? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, and thank you for, for asking it. Look, I, I think one of the problems for, for parents is that they won't hear the word intersex in a clinical setting. Um, they, they won't even hear the, the, the clinical term, the, the, the clinical umbrella term of disorders of sex development or differences of sex development 
what they might hear, what you might hear if, you, if you're a prospective parent or, or a new parent, is you might hear androgen sensitivity, or you might hear hyperspadius, or you might hear that somebody's genitals don't look typical. Uh, you might hear that somebody has um, uh, possibly a hormonal imbalance, or that a scan has come back and shown an extra chromosome, an extra sex chromosome, or, or some, you know, what the doctrinically an anomaly of sex chromosomes. But in all of these cases, I mean, your child can flourish and can do really well, um, and you know, can live can live long and happy lives, uh, and it's nothing nothing to be afraid of. Uh, the best thing that you can do is to contact an organisation like Intersex Human Rights Australia or Intersex Peer Support Australia, and we can put you in touch with other parents who've been through this before. There you go. That's sound advice. And very quickly, I know you're a busy man, but when just a just a question because you did mention that you know after your surgery you did have you fell into a bit of a depression and when the movement is really finding its its feet finally you know the the awareness is out there the change is happening the times they are a changing do you ever take a moment to just have a, a bit of a self-reflective moment because you have created so much change. And I know, you, you, you know, I'm sure you, there's a team of people behind you that, that help you, but you have, you have created such a safe space for so many humans. Do you ever take a moment to just pinch yourself and go, oh, what a life I'm living? Uh, well, it's really kind of you to say. I mean, you know, th th those experiences of, of, you know, hormone treatment, testosterone treatments and surgery were life-changing in, in ways that, that uh, I, I had no way of understanding at the time and were really quite, really difficult for me to deal with at the time. So, yeah, so kind of trying to help create... I mean, you can't create a community by yourself and you can't create a movement by yourself. So there is, there's, a, there's, a, there's a load of people, there's a huge number of people in Australia and in our neighbouring countries and around the world who are doing this work. And, you know, change is only possible when, um, when you've got a village with you. Um, so we're doing it together. Fantastic. Uh, well, yeah, it's amazing feeling. So, any closing yeah. closing thoughts, Morgan? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me and for so many people, I think that we already know that we're getting somewhere when we have um, governments in Australia actually tabling legislation and seeing that through. So, so I think that myself and many other people, I think we're still waiting with bated breath to see what's going to happen next. So, you know, I hope that you and others, your, your listeners, will walk with us while we're doing that. Excellent. Well, if everyone um, helps support, then we can we can rise everyone else up. Count us in as part of the village. Yeah. Um, hey, thank you. And thank you for having me on the program tonight. 
thank you very much for your insight, Morgan. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we're going to go to a song now. We're going to go to a little sponsor and then we're going to go to the country road version of Born This Way. Cool, excellent. And then we'll be right (laughs) back with um, Bonnie Hart from the Intersex Peer Support Australia. You're on Rainbow Conversations right here on Bay FM 100.3. Searchlight Rainbow Conversations with Tony and Jasper on Bay FM 100.3. You're on Searchlight Rainbow Conversations. Tonight, the topic, we are talking intersex awareness. And we're joined by our next guest, Bonnie Hart, who is from the Intersex Peer Support Australia. Welcome to the program, Bonnie. Oh, hi there. Hi, Jasper. Thanks for joining us. And as we start with all of our guests on Searchlight Rainbow Conversations, we talk about identity. So we pose the question, how do you identify? I identify, I'm an intersex woman. I am an artist. I'm an earthling. I am a nature lover. (laughs) I am a queer woman. I am... Oh, identity identity is so fun, really, in terms of how we can use it. But you know, I I, like I use I, I use intersex as an identity label in a particular kind of way because I acknowledge that, you know, it's it's not a gender identity or a sexuality. It's um it's kind of more of a political identity, you know, as someone that was like you know a female, I've always been a female, I was assigned female at birth, I live as a female. Um, and if I didn't actually say I was an intersex woman, then often my intersex experience or my the particular thing that makes me intersex, which is would be lost, do you know? So I like that's why I include intersex as an identity label. Yeah. Well, you're the first person to uh, identify as an earthling, which is something that I identify with. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Often I feel like you know when it comes to identity and and, and planning and class and classifications you know we get into so much um, problem when we look at our differences it's easier to just jump up a level and sort of see where we're where we have more crossover it is a fascinating question to ask because it does open up it's a very broad question um and it's fun to sort of get how people want to identify well let's dive Mm, in I, i i i would say that like um what i think is interesting about identity in this space as well as that um you know lots of people that i know with intersex variations don't wouldn't choose to talk about intersex in terms of identity because it's more of a being you know like it's a really an, an embodied experience being born with variation and sex characteristics so people would say that they have an intersex variation or they are intersex as opposed to they identify as intersex it's quite different i suppose to other types of identity labels in that way it, it is really fascinating getting your head around and why it's important to to show visibility for other other intersex people lots of people i suppose like people um use a lot of different words to talk about their intersex body as well you know not everyone uses the term intersex there's lots of different ways of talking about it different medical nomenclature um, you know, like there's a words around variations in sex characteristics. There's also stuff around talking about disorders or differences in sex mm-hmm. development, which is kind of what's how they're talked about in a medical setting. And people might talk about, you know, chromosomes mm-hmm. having a genetic condition, I suppose. Some people have talked about it in the past. 
there's lots of different things. Or, or people might even actually just talk about a diagnosis that they have, you know, like certainly there's some people out there that wouldn't use the term intersex. And that's because like, you know, there's a lot of misconception around what that even means, you know? <laughs> and some people think that to be intersex is to be a third sex or to be a third gender. And, and they don't, they don't think that you can be an intersex woman or an intersex man. But, you know, the stats show that most people with, who are intersex are actually have a binary gender. It's, it's a field that needs more conversation. And more visibility. Now, you work for IPSA or the Intersex Peer Support Australia. What is your role there and what does the Intersex Peer Support Australia do? So I'm kind of a long-term member of, of Intersex Peer Support Australia. I've been with the organisation for a really long time and had various roles over the years. And IPSA, I suppose, was set up to... has been kind of running since 1985 was when we were first established, so for quite a long time and we are a place where um, people with intersex variations of all different types so there's like obviously more than 40 intersex known intersex variations and lots of people don't really have a clear diagnosis as well mm -hmm. like so that there's a place where people can find and meet other people with the same types of experiences as them give each other support we're also a place for parents of kids born with variations in sex characteristics to come together and, and discuss, I suppose, the issues that affect us in terms of accessing healthcare, medical decision making, you know, stuff around kind of how to talk even about intersex and how to be, have an intersex body. Like, I suppose there's not many places out in society where intersex is really talked about and talked about in a really kind of open and frank way. Often people with intersex bodies have to spend a lot of time educating and telling other people about them just to even be acknowledged or seen or access a service that's right for them. Or, mm. you know, you have to, the amount of times I've had to tell a GP or a doctor what my intersex variation is and then explain what that variation means in terms of how my body is and what my healthcare needs are. And that seems so, so backwards. It's really, yeah. It's not... Well, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, people in our community members are the, are the experts in their own bodies. And when you get together with other intersex people, often you don't have to explain a lot of that stuff that you end up having to explain to other people. Hmm. And you have to explain it to other people just to get a little bit of support. So it's a lot of effort to have to put in just to actually access some support. That's why peer support is so valuable. When you go out in the community and you have to tell someone you're intersex, then they come at you with a thousand and one questions and you have to then Run it. through it all again. Yeah. And instead of people going and looking, yeah. at, looking at resources, they, they sort of ask ask someone. And that must be very frustrating if everyone's wanting you to sort of educate them on it. Yeah. Well, I suppose a lot of people never even get to the point of even talking about it with other people. It remains kind of like a secret or... You know, they're not ever taught about words that aren't disordered this or abnormal that to talk about their body. So they don't have really good language to be able to positively describe it to other people. And they might not want to because it's a really personal part of about their, their life and they don't feel comfortable about it. So obviously peer support creates, groups create really safe spaces where people are able to even start practicing the types of words that they want to use to talk about their bodies and looking at their bodies in different, in better ways, I suppose, rather than 
the ways that like medical eyes look at intersex bodies, which can be quite negative and and pathologizing, you know, and make you feel like there's something wrong with you. Intersex folk, when we get together and look at each other, we just see the natural variations that that humans can be and 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 that's okay. Because we all come in different shapes and sizes and variations to begin with. And really it it sounds like the IPSA covers pretty much everything, uh, which is amazing. So many organizations are so specific and you know you guys are really covering the the whole umbrella of it well yeah we changed our name we used to be the um i suppose the ais support group which was for androgen and sensitivity syndrome which is one of the intersex variations but to be honest we never really were just for people with ais we were like offered support to people with all of the xy chromosome intersex variations and and so we were were kind of never just that one specific variation Obviously, we're not the only support group out there. There are other support groups that exist for people with, with the, you know, those specific variations. You know, mm-hmm. like there's lots of one of the 40. So, but we just realized that there's, you know, like really common experiences that people with intersex variations have, particularly with regards to engaging with medical settings or mm-hmm. trying to be safe in, in in society or be seen and. And, and that those common experiences can be shared and, and that they're more than just, you know, we're more than just a diagnosis where we're a person in a space and trying to be understood by society as valid and whole and real. We're stronger together like that. The IPSA does meetups, picnics and conferences. How's that been going for the last year and a bit with, with COVID? Have you still been able to make it digital or has it sort of been a bit slowed down? I think COVID's put a spanner in the works for like everyone. Mm. <laughs> you know, like because we're quite spread out around Australia and we're a national group, we've always got together through digital technologies before COVID as well. So we really did amp that up. But yeah, there's there's nothing quite like being able to get together in real life with people and um, and, and have that sense of belonging and togetherness. That comes from from actually being with people that share your experiences or kind of uh, know, like you have that special knowing <laughs> that goes along. So, yeah, we still organise things, events, online, get together, and there's, we have like kind of online spaces. And we kind of have been talking about our In Real Life conference again this year. Like we've has had a, like a, a peer support conference which is our annual event where people come from all around the country to meet together in the one spot. We've had a conference almost every year since uh, 2001. Last year we did that through an online space and Mm -hmm. um, that was really good to get together, particularly after the year that a lot of us had had. But, yeah, it's uh, not a substitute for being in the same room as, as someone, particularly when we consider how many people in our group have spent a lot of time in their life being the only intersex person that they knew you know like because they're intersex the intersex variation being kept a secret or they haven't known anyone else or they've been told that they were a one in a million type person so the idea of being able to get together and being seen and heard and understood and is massively important it Look forward really to it happening again sometime soon. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That will be very important to yeah. um, to have that 
that connection with people who yeah, understand the situation. So the other um, really amazing thing that the IPSA website, which is isupport.org.au, there will be a link in the um, description when this goes up on podcast, is your knowledge hub, which is just so extensive with the resources you've got there. I've spent a lot of time looking through that in the research for the program. How much does that keep evolving? Do you keep adding adding more more information to that regularly or is that kind of where it is and you're not, not updating it too much? Oh, there's always so much more to do when it comes to intersex visibility, knowledge, resources. There's been not, you know, like we're, we're still a completely unfunded organisation uh, and so run by volunteers. Um, so that there's certainly a lot more that can be up there like that and we have actually two levels of the knowledge hub by funds for members only which actually has access to our referral database where people are able to look up their area and um, find you know gps mental health practitioners that actually have some sort of idea about intersex bodies and are able to provide affirmative services and people are able to add to that as well. So it's another big part of what we do is trying to actually help people access pathways and services and ways of being and knowledge that are actually much more better and more comfortable ways of, uh, of being. Have finding doctors that are informed about intersex people, from the research that we've done, so many intersex individuals have such a hard time just going to it, finding a new doctor having to explain themselves to that doctor and then and it just seems to be a snowball effect of awkwardness and uh, the medical profession seems to be a bit behind the eight ball on that one and so to find a database of informed people that you can go to you can skip all the well I was born with this characteristic and you can skip all of that and actually get down to why you are going to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it's still the best that a lot of intersex people can hope for is a kind of supportive co-learning environment with their GP, where their GP is like, and, and like GP really is like having a good GP is central to getting good lifelong healthcare because they're able to coordinate some of the more specialist health services that intersex people might need. But yeah, like having a GP that not, like is open about what they know and what they don't know and actually will sit with a person and help them learn more about their body and learn more about the different kind of health needs that, that person might have as well uh, is really important. Often a lot of like health care for intersex people is really focused on like the early years, do you know, like in a pediatric setting and mm-hmm. it's a really highly specialised zone with gynecologists and endocrinologists and neurologists and all of the ists um, having a very acute look at at bodies that visibly don't look very different but because intersex people can find out about their intersex variation you know they might be visible at birth, at, at birth or become apparent into childhood but a lot of intersex variations don't become apparent until a person's in adolescence and they don't have the the puberty that they were expecting you know like a or they might not find out until they're an adult and they might be trying to have a family and like having difficulty um, conceiving or so like there's a lot of different ways of finding out that uh, about having an intersex body. So it, there needs to be different kind of pathways into healthcare at different stages, not just through that real specialist 
early life lens that that seems to exist. But full lifelong healthcare, taking into account that basically not, not all people are exactly male or female. Well, you know, a lot of intersex, most intersex people are male or female. That's mm. right. Well, yeah. And but just they're not all male or female bodies look <laughs> the same. Oh, they don't yeah. all, you know, or like some are look just a bit different. But that doesn't mean they're not male or female mm. bodies. We they call them variations in sex characteristics because some of those sex characteristics, you know, like uh, they they vary from what is typically considered male or female. I think that I suppose I suppose access to mental health and mental health services is pretty help are uh, useful as well in that context because a lot of the medical interventions that people experience, particularly earlier in their lives, are aimed at making those sex characteristics look more male or look mm-hmm. more female or function in a more typically male way or a typically more female way. So those types of psychosocial rationales can really have a negative impact if they're not actually the way that that person wants their body to have looked or don't align with the way that that person wants to use their body. And really making assumptions that those types of assumptions are, are the role of that individual, not for anyone else to make those assumptions, such as like, you know, it happens when someone's a child and other people are making medical decisions for them. We've sort of looked at the fact that some some things need to happen when the person's an infant if it's physically going to be damaging, but most of it seems to be cosmetic and that's where the the awareness for parents really comes in to, to not, you know, listen to a, a doctor going, no, no, we've got to use the terrible term fix this person to make them another terrible term, normal, and these are the words that seem to be really damaging to people with intersex variation where they're, they're trying to be pushed into a, a binary box. And it's, I guess it's that, that awareness to let informed consent happen. Yeah, very much so. And, like, you know, everyone really needs support making decisions um, that are of this magnitude. And, and really the voice of the individual needs to be listened to and those types of... We have a saying that's like, if they can pee, let them be. You know, like if there's, um, if it's not a medical emergency, then like leave people alone until they have the capacity to be able to have real meaningful input into the decisions about their bodies. That's what leads to the best long-term mental health outcomes is those universal high-level principles around having bodily integrity and bodily autonomy and self-determination. You know, making making those own decisions for yourself and, and being aware to live with any of the consequences. Because let's be honest, like medical interventions are not risk free. You know, like if we're talking about surgery or, or hormonal treatments that permanently change people's sex characteristics, there's always the risk of scarification. There's the risk of like um, nerve damage or making that kind of wrong call about the person's gen- how the person's gender is going to sit with them as they grow older and or what they might want to do with their body. So, yeah, and like making assumptions about children is not a best way, the best way to kind of honour that person. Best to kind of ask them what it is that they want and provide them the right kind of information so that they can make a really informed choice about the type of health service they want to access. And the, some of the research that we've done as well, some of these cosmetic surgeries done to infants before they can speak a word will sometimes, because it's 
purely cosmetic in some conditions, they not only have scarring or nerve damage, they can actually damage functioning organs that that individual then growing up has to pay for medication to correct. The ramifications from that one decision are so huge that I'm surprised it happens as often as it does. Yeah, I think it's um, it's one thing to think about things in terms of a problem and want to fix them as fast and as easily as possible. Um, it's another thing to think about lifelong implications and what that means for a person moving forward. Like if I can talk about my own experience, like when I consented to a gonadectomy at age 12, I wasn't really prepared to be on a life of hormones, you know, like hormone replacement therapy. And no one really understood how to say, talk to me about that in a way that I could understand or really fully process the implication of what that means. So I think it's, there certainly is, there can be lifelong implications. I think that can that can, can result from those types of early childhood experiences within a, a medical setting. And you know, like there, there are kind of some weird inequalities as well that go along with having to, you know, having non-consensual interventions thrust on you for free <laughs> under Medicare. But when you're an adult and you want to access like affirmative uh, or reparative treatments to either fix what was done originally or, or to actually like modify your sex characteristics in a way that is in line with your what you want them to look like, then that you have to pay for that through private services. And so that's really challenging um, in terms of how self-determination looks in those models. And really, we should be supporting people to access the services that they need when they need them so that they can have the best, feel the best about their body, have the best functioning body for the right circumstances, but they need it. That's how we're going to see the best mental health outcomes. And I, I suppose when it comes to hormone replacement therapy and all of those types of like kind of long-term impacts that happen, and like really anyone that's had a gonadectomy will have to be on hormone replacement therapy to maintain their, their bone density and other types of biological functions. It's another great thing that I suppose that our support groups do is that there's a lot of experience and knowledge there about what different hormone replacement therapies are like for people with our types of bodies. We certainly talk a lot about it, about uh, how they sit and what's good and what's bad. There's been a lot of assumptions about what types of hormones, different types of intersex people need. Like I have androgen sensitivity syndrome. And for a long time, I was just prescribed estrogen because I'm a female and females don't have, need testosterone. But naturally I would have produced really high levels of testosterone. So for many years I was just on estrogen and it was really depressing. I was actually quite depressed and had, um, you know, did not sit with me well. <laughs> and then more in more recent years, I've been able to access testosterone and been on testosterone replacement therapy in combination with estrogen replacement therapy now. And that that's just actually feels a lot more like home, you know, like I feel a lot more comfortable in my body and it feels a lot better. But all of those assumptions that are based around gender and you know that that heteronormative lens about what male and female bodies should look like and what they both need like that that really needs to be really you know thrown out we need a much more specialist individual look at what individuals need and that's not based on those sex and gender norms and i think if anything human beings 
to feel comfortable in their own skin is one of the best goals to have. So I'm really happy that you got there. Well, thank you. <laughs> it did take a while. Um, and I think it's probably, you know, a lifelong's work. You know, it's a, it's a lifelong motivation. And like, I, I imagine it'll take a while yet actually before I get home. That's part of the joy as well. There's, there's always more to grow. Well, I guess there's more people are born, there's more people with intersex variations born, and there's more need the next generation to be shown that it's normal and and the parents really need the education from what I can understand just to they have a baby baby's not, you know, falling into the binary binary uh, situation, then they can then make an informed decision and that's a really powerful part for the conversation to move forward. So what do you guys do at the IPSA to sort of help that conversation go forward? Well, people really just need support. Do you know, like, I suppose a big part of that experience is actually having the preconceptions about bodies blown wide open and, and people will get really vulnerable in that space, do you know, because they don't have a frame of reference for understanding. Like, obviously, we do education to try and make things more visible so that it doesn't come as a complete surprise to um, new parents if uh, if their child has, has an intersex variation. And I suppose in, in that situation as well, like it can be really quite a steep learning curve for people, in, particularly in terms of going through a diagnostic process mm-hmm. or like um, trying to consider the best outcomes, what might be the best outcomes for their child, either considering interventions or considering no interventions as well. So what we do is beyond advocating for you know human rights frameworks for informed decision making and and ensuring informed consent we actually try and connect parents with one another because there are a lot of parents out there that have been through that journey before and have a lot of knowledge about how to navigate those health systems and what what's a good and kind of can allay some fears that people have around you know what it might be like for their child to grow up with a body that's not typically male or typically female and and really it's just about reassuring parents that they that they're not that they don't have to rush they can take their time they can take a big deep breath and um be with their lovable child (laughs) you know like and see their qualities and, and then actually take their time to to get as much information as they need to make a really informed decision yeah, there's certainly lots of really great networks out there as well. There's international networks of parents of people with intersex variations. And, you know, like we're quite connected now. So the idea is just to connect people with one another. And then when you, all of a sudden you go from being the only one to being one of many, mm. it's a completely different headspace to be in. And, and people have a lot more confidence that they're going to make the right decision. And, and, and that frees them up to be able to be really present with their child and actually just to really in, in, enjoy those early years of becoming a parent rather than having to worry about the big stress of some supposed medical issue that might not be a medical issue at all. And after decades of work, the the IPSA, now that you've been together and working together for so long on support and visibility, and now the eyes in the LGBTIQP+, I remember the at Brisbane Pride, there was a huge display tent for the 
IPSA. And I it was so great to see. And I'm just glad that the visibility is getting out there. And I just think it's so great that these conversations are being had and they're being had more often. They're being had on larger platforms. So I feel like even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, the future is looking bright. Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like there's... um. We spent decades jumping up and down trying to be seen and heard and starting to feel like things are shifting in terms of like our, our needs and wants as a community are being acknowledged and, and that we're actually starting to get more validation for our experiences. And, and then also that equals greater resources to be able to actually do more as a community and, and to meet our needs because, as I said, said like people with lived experiences are experts in their own lives so our community groups are really important for being able to ensure that whatever other services are offered to us are meaningful and they actually connect with what we need so I think that's a really big part about uh, the visibility is that you know like we're actually able to do more the more people think to include us in stuff and 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 the more that we don't actually have to provide that real just fundamental knowledge about what intersex is, we get to start a building on that and actually trying to improve those services and improve the lived experiences of new generations of intersex people that are being born. So beautifully said. Oh, I'm Aww. so thankful for you to come <laughs> on. Oh, I'm just really, uh, I'm so thankful that you were able to come on Rainbow Conversations um, because we've hit a lot of really big topics and we're, we're starting starting our series of bisexual, pansexual awareness and trans awareness. And we wanted to start off with intersex awareness because I feel like as far as, you know, trans people have been having a moment for a, a good few years and, you know, you've got Laverne Cox on the cover of Time magazine. and But intersex people still don't have that huge visibility. And so that's why we wanted to start with intersex people, just so we can get the word out there and let people know about intersex individuals. Thanks for doing that. Get out there. Yeah, <laughs> put it out there. And would you have a, a take-home message for anyone listening who you know really is just stumbling across this concept for the first time? You know, it's not not out there in the, the broader education. What would you want people to know to help inform people about the world of intersex? Oh. Well, I suppose we're all taught that there are really strict ways of being male or strict ways of being female and that there are only males and only females or maybe we weren't taught that. Maybe we actually um, grew up in a more progressive and realistic kind of framework. But, um, but really there's a lots of different ways of being both of those things or actually even throwing that whole binary model away and realising there's just lots of ways to be a human and not and 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 that's okay you know that that intersex variations and natural variations in in human development and um and just because things are different that doesn't mean that they need to be fixed what needs to be fixed often is you know society's view on things because that's really where the error is because nature isn't like that nature isn't really split straight down the middle in terms of one way or another there's so much crossover so much spectrum in kind of how things can be so this idea that there's a clinical line between male and female bodies doesn't actually match reality 
And we should stop throwing intersex people into that great big chasm in um, in understanding. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us back to the end of the interview, I think, uh, Bonnie. Unless there's anything anything else you'd like to add before we close out? Intersex Awareness Day is um, 26th of October. Uh, it's a really great day to to kind of talk and, and make intersex a little bit more visible, learn about in, intersex, find some intersex speakers, get some yellow and purple flags. <laughs> Bonnie has sent me through a lot of resources too, and I will link some of those videos in the description for the um, podcast for tonight because there's so much to learn. This topic is really in-depth, and I think yeah, everyone should just get out and learn a bit more about it so we can all, all move forward, let, let everyone be included. Alrighty, well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Bonnie, on Rainbow Conversations. We'll be right back with the Rainbow oh, Roundup. Thanks in a moment. for having me. Searchlight on Bay FM 100.3. Connect with us by SMS on 0468 86 1003. Thanks for joining us this evening for this in depth look at intersex awareness. And we've had a lot of guests on. We've Ask them all the questions we could fit into a program. And look, there's so much more on this topic. It's. I just love that I've discovered a new term tonight called bodily integrity. Love that expression. There's definitely a lot to learn tonight. It has been action-packed. And now it's time for the Rainbow Roundup where we finish out the program. Um, we got a little shout out to someone who's listening in, sending in some lovely messages. Joe's listening in, so thanks for your messages, Joe. It's really great to hear that people are absorbing the information and getting out there and spreading out the word. Yep, Joe's really loving well. the discussion tonight. Fantastic. So thanks for that. And I'll give you two dates to put in your diary as well. Oh, okay. There is the Intersex Awareness Day. So intersex awareness is the topic tonight, but the awareness day is all the way in October. It's the 26th of October. And um, that is an anniversary of one, a protest about intersex rights that happened years ago. The other one shortly after that is the 8th of November. That's Intersex Day of Solidarity. Where we remember people who haven't had all the opportunities that everyone else has. So those two dates are really good. Now, for more resources, I would highly recommend the Intersex Peer Support Australia website. They have a lot of information. There's a whole knowledge hub. We spoke about it earlier. That's where Bonnie Hart is from. Their website is isupport.org.au. And action packs there. The other one is the Intersex Human Rights Australia, where Morgan Carpenter is from. Their website is ihra.org.au. The other really important place to go, and we didn't mention it at all in tonight's conversation, we have mentioned it on previous searchlights, it's the Darlington Statement. It's all about getting the, the intersex rights acknowledged. You can go and affirm the Darlington Statement. Go to darlington.org.au. Again, we'll put links for all of those in the description for the podcast for this evening. Uh, if you want some more research besides just typing in intersex into YouTube and seeing where it leads you, if you have ABC iView, there is a really interesting program called You Can't Ask That. Season 4, Episode 3 is on intersex. 
it is really great to hear people who are intersex answering questions so really honestly um yeah brutally honestly it is great it's i learned so much from that one Tony and i will be in the valley tomorrow morning at the brunswick hotel for the brisbane pride network breakfast having a talk about all the things we do on radio so if you do know of that and you're in in town that's from seven o'clock tomorrow morning at the brunswick hotel we'll be back for our next episode of Searchlight Conversations in about four weeks. Well, the date hasn't been announced yet, but the next topic of conversation, we're talking bisexuality and pansexuality. So that's going to be a, a very interesting interesting look at um, sexual identity. If you want to know more about what we're up to, there is a dedicated Searchlight Rainbow Conversations Instagram page. It's just at Rainbow Conversations on Instagram, and we post all of what we're doing, photos of our guests, information about the podcasts and we'll announce when certain podcasts go up on bayfm.org.au it's also available on spotify in fact i think it's available anywhere you can get us podcasts apple Podcasts, all those places you can find us and listen to us all the time and we always like to finish with a good quote and look it's just a message that's been going throughout the entire evening And that is plain and simple. Intersex rights are human rights. Again, plain and simple. Thanks so much for joining us this evening on Rainbow Conversations. We will be back in a month with our wonderful episode on bisexual and pansexuality. And until then, thanks so much. I've been Tony. I've been Jazz. Thanks for joining us. Searchlight Rainbow Conversations with Tony and Jasper on Bay FM 100.3.